Hello, and welcome to the Booksmarts podcast, where we talk about publishing data and technologies and send you away with some insights that will help you sell more books. I'm your host, Joshua Talent. On this week's episode of the Booksmarts podcast, I'm excited to have Corey Werner, the CEO of One Audiobooks, uh, which is a publisher of audiobooks and a turnkey audio services provider for the publishing industry, uh, joining me today. So, Corey, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Joshua. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. We go a long way back. I think I've known you for <laughs> quite a few years. Uh, lots of connections in the uh, ECPA community and other places. So it's it's great to uh, have a chance to chat with you about audiobooks and kind of where things are. Uh, I just wanted to start off, you know, for people who are interested in audiobooks, and they obviously we see a lot of things happening in the audiobook world over the last couple of years. Um, what's the current state? What, what's the state of affairs for audiobooks right now? You know, who's listening? How many people are listening? What that kind of stuff that you think is important? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that's a great place to start. Um, we've we've obviously seen really, really significant growth in the last decade. Um, I think it was probably six or eight years ago when we started seeing uh, double digit growth, and in some cases, well, well over ten percent. And it really surprised a lot of people because audio had been a growing, but very, very slowly for a long time. So we yeah. were we were gaining listeners, but it wasn't happening quickly. And then there's a confluence of several things that happen at once. Obviously, smartphones and then apps and then awareness started coming. Um, and then ever and then about a thousand other things started competing with reading books. So that was really the biggest thing, in my opinion, is everybody knows they should read. They want to read. They think it's important. They think it'll help them and change their life, but finding time anymore with the the competition that you have, I mean, binge watching Netflix or, you know, basically doing work on your, your phone or whatever it is. So audio is kind of that one thing where you can do it when you're doing other things. I have to drive somewhere. I can listen to an audio book or a podcast. I, I have to wash the dishes. I have to wash my dog. I have to mow the yard. I have to go to sleep. People listen while they fall asleep. So the, the biggest trend, which shocked me, it's probably seven or eight years ago, the first time I saw this on the sales surveys, was people were saying that the they mainly listen when they were relaxing at home. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that people would say they did it on their commute. And when I saw that for the first time, I was like, what is that? And I, are you sure it's right? I actually talked to the people who ran the surveys. Like, are you sure that's right? And so over time, it just made sense. It's like, it's really like I'm taking a walk around my neighborhood or I'm taking a walk around my office. It's, it's not really relaxing at home. It's just, I'm using, I'm filling in all the margins with audiobooks, And so we're, we're still seeing every year double, you know, double digit, you know, growth. And um, COVID was a really big boon too, because people had a lot more time. So we saw, we saw explosive audiobook growth during that time, which has since, since come down. I mean, it was a little bit of a, of a, of a spike and then we've, we've settled back into a little bit of normal. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I listen to a ton of audiobooks myself and they compete with me. They compete on, uh, with podcasts. And I, I found myself over the last couple of years, just thinking, man, I want fewer news podcasts and more audiobooks. I feel yeah. like that's a, that's a good thing for my soul in some ways. Um, so, so who's listening though? I mean, I'm, I'm in a kind of a, a weird demographic. I'm mid forties, I guess. So I'm kind of at the tail end of Gen X and uh, I fit well with some of that, but I I'm wondering who's watching, who's listening the most and kind of where the demographics are uh, along the board. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with who's not listening. Cause there is one group not listening and that is Gen Z. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, 
five years ago, I used to say that about millennials and now they're the strongest category. So the strongest mm-hmm. category in audiobooks is the millennial. And that's where all the growth is right now. Not all, but it's a significant portion of the growth is with that market, which to me was, is really surprising. And when I saw the data, I was sort of skeptical of it, but that's, that's a, so in terms of demographics, everyone is listening right now, uh, except for Gen Z, as I said, and it's pretty much looks like a pie chart, like a pizza sliced evenly. So everybody's listening where it gets interesting is when you start looking at usage and how many books people listen to, Okay. then the under 40 crowd Xers and millennials blow everybody else away. They're listening at incredibly high levels. And anecdotally, when I talk to publishers, books that are targeted at millennials do 50% sales in audio. Wow. So it's it's a it's really serious in certain categories. And self-help is happens to be the category that we most spend most of our time in, nonfiction, self-help, the religious market, you know, Christian titles. That market is um, has the highest preference for audio as a format. So when you start looking at like, let's say you're trying to target, say, leaders, younger leaders or influencers or podcasters, I mean, audio is going to be your primary, primary source to get the word out and to get engagement. Yeah, that makes sense. So what types of audiobooks then are doing well? That, that's a really interesting question. And uh, one of the things that's fascinating is our market, um, what does well, doesn't do well in the general market. So we, we primarily mm-hmm. an inspirational market. And just to, you know, as an example, um, one of the weakest categories in our market is young uh, YA fiction. It's probably the weakest category behind reference. (laughs) So reference obviously is not a great audio format, although people are doing it now and selling books, believe it or not. But that used to be the worst. But YA was the worst. And that happens to be the best category in the general market. So Hmm. you have to sort of think about which who's your market. That's part of it. So I'll give you another example. The market is 75% fiction, but in the inspirational market, self-help market is 75% nonfiction. Yeah. So it's exactly flipped in a lot of categories. Um, in, in the regular market, fiction does extremely well, but it has a short tail. Mm-hmm. Nonfiction is kind of where a lot of the growth is. You're seeing a lot of the growth and uh, it has a really good tail. So Although you get a good hit off of the fiction, I think nonfiction is a great place to be because, you know, it's um, it, you, you don't have this big spike of sales and then very few sales after that, which is what yeah. we see a lot in fiction, especially in, in faith, the faith based market. We see that a lot. Yeah, that's interesting, too. I mean, you think about YA, uh, you know, YA fiction tends to be a lot of adults reading that that kind of content, too. It's not that's it's true. not. You know, a lot of teenagers buying uh, audiobooks for sure, or buying uh, buying books even in general. It's mostly their parents, so it's an interesting, uh, interesting kind of variable there. Yeah, and and your point is well made. For those who, who listen to the podcast a lot, we you know have conversations with nonfiction publishers uh, pretty often here, and had one with uh, I keep bringing him up, Todd Satterston over at Bard Press uh, publishes um, publishes nonfiction business books and does like one book a year. Um, and his approach to publishing is pretty unique and pretty interesting, but uh, it's also very much a long tail business. Um, you look at you know where the sales are, it's all about backlist. It's not necessarily about what's on the front list. Um, and you build a market for a book over time. So that's it's interesting to see and good to see as well that at least in your part of the market and in the inspirational part of the market, that's also the case that there's a there's a good case to be made for you know, this kind of book, this kind of nonfiction inspirational book is going to have a good long tail in the audio space as well, not just in the, uh, in the print book space. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I've, 
have a 20-year history. I started a company that only did backlist for seven years. We bought basically the entire kind of uh, evergreen Christian in the Christian market, thousands of titles. And mm-hmm. most of those titles were still selling 10, 15, 20 years later, which was really shocking to me uh, because you know, you're thinking you're trying to just recoup. That was the goal back then. Just basically make your money back. That was all, that was what we were trying to do. There weren't a lot of sales, obviously. When I got in, in 2003 into the market, it was 95% cassette tapes and there were no downloads. And so at all, there was no, obviously iPod. So that was part of the the issue. And it was very technical to get a book on your um, device on a, on a, you know, and there was discussions of what which format would win, MP3 or Augs Vorbis, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. that and that's uh, that's the same thing on the ebook space, you know, uh, is it EPUB or Kindle or, you know, the old uh, Microsoft format. You know, there's a whole bunch of a uh, bunch of fun things that have f- thankfully left the uh, left yeah, the building. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so what's changing today? Like, if you look at the audiobook industry, what do you think is changing the most, and where do you think publishers need to be aware of? You know, that that thing is coming six months, a year, two years down the line. Yeah. That no. That's there's a lot changing, and it's changing quickly. I'll I'll go over some really high level trends. Um, mm-hmm. One is production is getting more difficult and more expensive because um, we're we've we're doing like somewhere around twenty five times. The more books than we were when I started. So, you know, 100,000 titles a year as opposed to 5,000 titles a year or something, you know, whatever yeah. that is. Um, I don't know what that ratio is, but it's we're, we're doing many more titles. And so a lot we all think of a lot of the same talent that we always have. So it's really, you know, you're waiting, you know, hey, can you read this book? I, I need six months. So we've been working on really expanding over the last few years, our casting to really have a much better handle on say, not just 100 narrators, but four or 500 narrators who read nonfiction. Because mm. casting is kind of where you get the biggest bang for your buck in production. And it's the hardest part of the process now, where it used to be really easy because everybody was free. You just look on Audible and see who read their book the last time, and that was your mm. casting decision. And I would have people say, hey, I'd like to read for you. And I'd be like, I don't really need anybody. It's like, I, you know, unless you've read 100 books, I really don't, didn't talk to anybody. And obviously now I'm every day I'm t- attending every speed dating session at APAC and I'm talking to everybody I can. Every time someone sends, I'm listening to samples and, you know, it, it, we're really trying to expand that because we see it's only going to get worse um, yeah. in terms of production. So that's one trend. Another is the dominance of of a big publisher and uh, a re- retailer retailer that maybe a lot of us know about the mm-hmm. biggest one. I won't mention the name. Um but m- many of you will know who they are. They're losing dominance very quickly, which excites me um, because they're not very generous. And so it's we, we see a lot of growth in library market, explosive growth, uh, all you can eat, which publishers are resistant to all you can eat models. But we see a lot of growth there. Um, and internationally, we see channels you've never heard of that are 90 percent of the business. So, you know, there's a lot of international growth. There's mm-hmm. growth in um uh, you know, a la carte with like Chirp and BookBub and they're, they're killing it. And in our market, inspirational market, we've, we're ramping up new channels that are doing very well that essentially, you know, we're kind of one of the main ways to get there as a distributor because we only focus on inspirational markets. So that's interesting to, to have new channels where you can move hundreds or thousands of units in, with a promotion and didn't exist two years ago. And there's a lot of that happening Mm-hmm. which is exciting, but also kind of tough to navigate if you're a publisher and you're like, okay, how do I, 
how do I navigate this? Do I just go direct with ACX? Well, Ace, you know, some that's like half the business now for, yeah. for a lot of publishers. So that's a, that's a trend. And I would say the last trend is author reads are just exploding. I would maybe 40% of what we do. We have an off, we have authors in our studio. I'm in one of our studios uh, here in San Diego and we uh, next door is two authors. We just got going for a multicast, you know, dual author read. That would have never happened five years ago. We yeah. there were conferences teaching you how to, you know, avoid author reads. Like I spoke on a panel, how to avoid author reads one time, like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's like we do 150 of those a year. And it's, I think everybody's feeling that. And author reads are, are way more challenging. Mm-hmm. There's way more room for error and, and you have failed projects way more often. It's a lot of risk mitigation and a lot of, uh, you know, vetting studios, vetting engineers, vetting even the, the author, um, and then figuring out they can be very expensive. They can be, they're actually a lot more expensive than a narrator read, which always surprises the people that we quote them mm-hmm. because you've got studio fees, maybe the narrator's reading at home and, and then you've got, uh, twice as much editing and the editing is the heavy lifting of the whole project. Right. So you've just got all these issues that you run into with an author read and they fail quite often. And so it's, it's disconcerting for publishers who jump in and think, Oh man, um, everybody's upset. That's no fun. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the technology obviously has changed over the years. And I think everybody's talked about this, that you can record at home and, you know, there's, you know, you can have a decent setup as a narrator uh, in your own, in your own home. And that's, that's something we didn't have before. And I'm sure it's helping with the production. Uh, talk to me about other things you're seeing on the production side. Is it, is it getting easier to edit uh, in general? Are the, are the tools getting any better? Is the, do you see anything coming down the pike where you're thinking, okay, so, uh, you know, like on the ebook space, there's always talk about, you know, some sort of other, you know, additional enhancement to an ebook. Are we seeing that kind of you know, like things, technologies or ideas coming down the pike that you think publishers should be aware of? Well, some of the software is getting better. So I would say you can, you can use like RX and other tools to solve issues you couldn't solve before. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you have a, an author with an cr- incredible amount of mouth noise and you've, you've basically remiked them three times. You've changed mics. Now you're miking them from across the booth with a shotgun mic. You're doing, you've done everything you can do and you still can't, you've got something that you couldn't process out. Well, before you had to live with it, the, the tools are getting better to fix issues like that. Mm-hmm. You know, fix problems with, you know, buzzes, hums, whatever, uh, really, really smacky voice voices, whatever. But the problem is the editing is like five, five, three hours to every finished hour to five hours for every finished hour if you're good at it. Yeah. So you, and that hasn't changed in 20 years. So it's kind of hard to it's hard to get a lot of the fluff out. I mean, we have a very streamlined production process. You know, we produce about 35 books a month. So mm-hmm. to do that, we, we have a lot of editors and proofers and we do a lot of research up front and we, we do a lot to, to streamline that process. But the bottleneck is always the editors and finding good editors is getting harder because um, it's just a it's it's pretty nuanced work. It's, it's fairly technical. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a really detail oriented person. And then, you know, on the mastering side, some people can maybe get the editing, but they take a long time to get good at the mastering to really deliver stuff you have confidence in. So that's part of the part of the problem. So I haven't I I would say, you know, narrators are getting more expensive. 
editing is getting more expensive for us because labor's a lot higher. It's like 50% higher than it was a few years ago because of inflation. So yeah. I don't, I don't see costs really going down. The only way that costs can go down is if you do, like you said, you're an author, you work in a home studio and you do it yourself. I'm seeing a lot of that. The problem is that we get projects every day where people send them to us and say, can you fix this? It didn't get approved. Or can you, can, can we do this? And we listen and we tell them, Hey, you've got a large audience and this is way, way below what we would industry standard. Forget about Uh what we would ever deliver. We wouldn't put our name on this and tell anybody we did it, but so far below industry standard that, that it may not, it may not even, you may do all the work and it doesn't even pass. Mm-hmm. So that's the the challenge is that you the weird thing about audiobooks is not like recording music where it's all about the gear it's about having a quiet space you know it's about yeah. having a space where you can work all day without any outside noise getting in and you can actually keep it cool enough to where someone can work in there without sweating yeah. and then you can have it treated so that the so that you don't have the reflection so you get a really good and you got a low noise floor and once you do that, I don't care what mic, you could put any mic in there. It doesn't yeah. matter. I can record with my iPhone in a, in a room and it sounds pretty good. But, but an author usually doesn't have that. Even if you're in a closet, it's, those are really funky spaces. And a lot of times they're not quiet. We actually do a lot of remote reads for publishers when they send us, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we'll be in a, in a house, the person's reading in the closet and the whole house is locked down. Like the person the gal's calling and yelling at everybody for using the restroom, you know, it's just miserable. <laughs> and you're like, this is just not fun, you know? So it, you really need a space for it. Yeah. And publishers need a space as well. And you think about, you know, a lot of publishers are trying to get into audiobooks now uh, and have been for the last couple of years. They see the growth. They know they need to do it. Uh, it ends up being, you know, I think one of two things in many cases, one, they outsource it or license it out and they just have somebody else take care of the whole thing. And that's that's an easy approach. Um, another thing, obviously, is try to do it yourself. And so you start building some sort of internal team to to do that editing process and to find, you know, start build out your your own internal thing. So when you think about this from the perspective of a publisher, what are the risks in terms of producing your own uh, your own DIY uh, audiobooks? Yeah. Well, we we talked about some of them. There there are risks in terms of production. I th- I think the other risk is so let's say let's say that audio is ten percent of your revenue or eight yep. to twelve percent. For the bigger publishers, it's probably more like fifteen to twenty. But they have unique circumstances which we don't. I don't think in twenty minutes we'd have time to go into it. But the bigger yeah. publishers are gonna they're gonna have a higher percentage of actual revenue that's audio, and the smaller ones are not. But if it's eight percent of your revenue, it's tough to ramp up a team, yep. and so that's where you know, with the the company we started, One Audiobooks, we saw that as being a big problem. Where we know we were we were telling publishers to keep rights because this is going to be thirty percent of your revenue within yep. a decade. And th- this is about three or four years ago. I started telling people that, and we're I I think we're still on track within the next three to five years to be thirty percent of revenue. This doesn't seem to be slowing down. It hasn't in ten years. So I think at that point you have to have you have to do it internally, manage costs, get the highest. Uh, royalty you can. So what we're kind of do, we we decided to do was do like a stopgap. We don't expect Mm -hmm. this model to last forever, but for now let's help publishers. You know, we run programs for 20, 30 publishers. We just run the program. We do consulting, casting, production, distribution, sales and marketing. So we have a marketing team that markets them. And then we have a a series of apps that help with customer engagement, list building, direct selling, running pre-order campaigns. So it's a pretty uh, turnkey 
and pretty comprehensive service that we're offering. And that's why we had a lot of publishers move over to it. But I don't, I don't, I, I, you kind of need to reinvent yourself in audiobooks every three to five years. I feel like, uh-huh. like, I remember when I, I said I got in, it was 95% cassettes. Well, then it was 90% CDs and three and like five years later, it was like, or seven years later, it was 90% download. So we replaced a f- three formats in 10 years. Yeah. It was crazy to try to keep up with that. And so audio, you know, new media isn't like this in general. It's changing so fast. I think you just, you need a short-term plan. Mm-hmm. And so we try to help publishers keep rights. That's a big right. part of what we do. We do buy rights. We publish a lot of books on, you know, as a publisher, if, if a publisher wants to sell rights, we'll buy rights if for our market, for the inspirational market. Yep. But a lot of the publishers really do see this as being strategic. Um, and, and so it's important. So I think the big risk is we've had publishers do this where they said, we're going to do it in house and they hire someone full time. And that person's like, I can produce three books, but I have, I have eight a season. So they give us the other five. I've had those kind of situations happen. It's really hard you know, we have a pretty large staff. Uh, we have 16 internal and then an army of contractors that we've built over, you know, 20 years or whatever. And mm-hmm. so it's pretty hard to scale it um, unless unless you really want to, um, you, you really have to put a lot into it and sort of lose lose some money on it to grow that because you're putting so much into obviously administration and stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh Corey, this has been great. I love talking to you about audiobooks. I think we might bring you back on again and talk some more. Uh, but you know, where can people find out more about the work that you're doing at One Audiobooks? Well, we have we have two sites. Yeah, and and but let me also say, yeah, I I I've always enjoyed being on panels with you, and I've always I followed your work for a long time, and I, you know, whenever anyone asks me about ebooks, you know, your your names, the person, the name <laughs> I give them, you know, you want, I don't know anything about ebooks. Talk to this guy, and that happens with me with audiobooks sometimes as well. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. I think I think that yeah, next time it would be nice to talk about uh, customer engagement, marketing, what's happening with launching audiobooks. It's a it's probably another good conversation to have at some point because there's a lot of things changing there. Uh, it's a rapidly evolving sort of moving target, but uh, you can yeah. find us at oneaudiobooks.com. That's our corporate site where you can just kind of, you can read about what we do. Um, if you'd like to learn more about our uh, customer engagement tools, go to oneaudiobooks.app. And there's a, there's a basically a publisher tab. You can go on there and you can look and see what we're doing for publishers to help them with audiobook engagement on the, on the marketing side and customer engagement side. Awesome. Great. I'll put those links in the show note as well. And so thanks a lot for joining me and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Booksmarts podcast. If you like what you've heard, please uh, leave a review in Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. And uh, you know, take a minute and let us know what you think about the show. You can email me at joshua at firebrandtech.com. I'd love to hear your ideas and thoughts about uh, other people to interview and other topics to discuss. Um, We hope that you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you again in the future. Thanks for joining us and getting smarter about your books.